0: is going on baseball fans welcome to episode six of this week in baseball featuring diamond digest once again i'm your host jordan lazowski for new listeners welcome to the show where we recap all the news highlights and analysis from the week of baseball and for anyone returning welcome back good to see you again good to see you good to hear from you again rather i am joined this week once again by callie who had a one-week hiatus Hello. but it's nice to see your face again Along with Ethan Fisher and Andrew Horrath, two different hey. faces to the name or two different faces for the podcast this week. Gentlemen, glad to have you both on and we got a good podcast for you guys, as always. We got a little bit of a different structure this time. We're gonna keep it shorter for you guys, but still give you all the highlights, all the coverage, and introduce a little bit of fun to it, which I'm excited for. But let's start like we do every week. If the season ended today, and it certainly always could because of COVID, we never know. This is again before the uh, game between the Rockies and the Dodgers this evening, so take that into account when we let you know what these standings are. In the AL East, your two teams would be the Rays and the Toronto Blue Jays, the surging Toronto Blue Jays. In the AL Central, the White Sox and the Indians would be the top two teams, as Andrew smiles. In the AL West, it will be the A's and the Astros and the wildcard. The Twins and the struggling Yankees find themselves in the eighth spot for the wild current in the playoffs currently. In the NL, in the East, the Braves and the Phillies are the top two teams. The Central sees the Cubs and the Cardinals, who matched up this afternoon, or actually earlier this evening for Sunday Night Baseball. The Dodgers and the Padres... Kelly once again with another team in the playoffs in the NL West and the wild card holds two teams that are under 500 showing the stark difference between the AL and the NL. The Giants and the Marlins are your two wild card teams in the NL. I, I think these playoffs show a little bit of the um, disparity between the AL and the NL. Um, I think certainly I don't mind having eight AL teams in, but I think, You start to see that some of the problems people have with the expanded playoffs and the quality of the teams getting in when certainly the two wild card teams in the NL are under 500. I think you can make an argument all eight of the American league teams are certainly playoff teams would be expected to be in the playoffs in a normal year. I don't think you can say that about the NL teams. So I think that's where you start to see some of the frustration for people.
1: I think something that would be interesting would be, keep the two teams from each division format, but instead of having the four, four card teams, two card teams from both divisions, you could have just the teams with the four best records and not have it split up by AL or NL. I think that might have been more well-received, so it's more likely that the best teams do get in.
0: That makes sense. I mean, I, I, again, we've talked about this every week, and I think you hear the same sort of things coming up every week from everyone we bring on. It's, I don't mind the expanded playoffs, but don't, you almost don't want to expand them too far. Um, eight, eight seems to be pushing it at this point, point. Um, and I think as you start to get into the 60-game stretch when certainly not the removal of the variance like the 162 games is, but certainly, the removing of variance in sixty games, you're still starting to see some of those teams who probably don't deserve to be there, finding their way in. While certainly all the teams of the AL are deserving currently, um, take some of the excitement out of the um, argument in the AL. Certainly, I know that's one argument I've heard a lot: is that there's less excitement this year in the AL. However, three of the four people on this podcast have a team in the playoffs. Sorry, Ethan, I'm not going to complain. Certainly (laughs) with the expanded playoffs. Um, But it's certainly fun, I think, as a White Sox fan, seeing the race for the division, I think that's something that fans can still hang their hats on when it's looking for – or when they're looking for uh, competitive play heading into the playoffs.
1: Yeah, and I don't think that in the AL – the Blue Jays were a team that, even over 162-game season, I think some people could have expected them to – sneak in to the playoffs, so that's not surprising. I think they're a very underrated team who are going to stick around for a long time, who have, in my opinion, maybe a top 10 infield in baseball.
0: Yeah, the Blue Jays are an interesting team. I think that'll be – that. that's certainly something to watch, is how the Blue Jays and the Yankees battle for that second spot in the NL East um, – or, excuse me, the AL East. Yankees have certainly been struggling recently, have not been able to beat teams like the Orioles who they need to beat. And the Blue Jays have definitely taken advantage of that. So again, even though the playoffs are more set in stone, maybe the eight teams are set, more set in stone in the AL, there's certainly plenty to watch there.
2: Something uh, interesting about this new 16-team playoff is the first round is only a best of three. Mm-hmm. So. You know, if a team like the Marlins, and no one expected to make the playoffs this year, what if they knock out the Dodgers in the first round? They have two good games, and just like that, the Dodgers are done.
0: I mean, you can speak. That, that's again with the variance in any playoffs, though. I Yeah, I hope like, people that, don't yeah. three game series is right
2: or less
1: variance than a one game wild card.
0: Yeah, to too true. well. I, I think that I, I hope. I almost hope that's not an argument that's eventually used to discount the expanded playoffs because there's certainly plenty of scenarios when you look at this sheet of teams that are on there where someone has a bad game, someone has a good game. There's, there's a couple aces on some bad teams where you just piece together one or two good games, you beat out someone else's ace, it happens. Now, 6-1 um,
1: Pablo, those are two good players. Mm-hmm, Could be right. a very nice one-two punch in a three-game series.
2: I yeah. think the three-game series is only for this year, though. Uh, with COVID, I think they might um, rearrange like how the whole playoff works if they continue with the sixteen teams.
0: Yeah, I'll be interested to see what they do. Um, I'm interested to start talking about the playoffs though a little bit more. Yeah. It'll, it'll be It'll be certainly exciting to see the end of this kind of 60 game sprint finish up, as we talk about in a little bit some of the notable names coming up in such a short season. But let's continue on with a COVID-19 update. And we've mentioned a few of the names, the Marlins, the Cardinals, some of those teams. Thankfully, we don't have any updates like that for a couple weeks now.
1: Uh, There was the A's who had a scare, but Mm -hmm. after five days, they were able to uh, get back
0: onto the field.
2: Right. And, of course, the Mets. (laughs) Yes, of course.
0: But certainly some good news coming this week. On September 4th, 20 games were played across baseball. Teams were in action. Teams were making up games they had previously missed. This is the most since 1974 and the second most in a day all time. 21 is the previous record. With all of these games, with all of these more positive COVID updates, if, as if any COVID update could be positive, but hey, we're getting better. The weekly debut list has grown longer and longer as players have gotten more and more of a chance in such a shortened season. If, if anything good has come, out, has come out of this COVID situation um, for Major League Baseball and its players, certainly more debuts has been one of those. We're going to mention some of the bigger ones. This is obviously not everyone who debuted this week. That list is still rather long to try and throw into a podcast and try and talk about. But let's put some of the big names out there. Luis Camposano of the Padres. Brian Hayes of the Pirates. Jazz Chisholm of the Marlins. Bernardo Flores of the White Sox. Clark Schmidt of the Yankees. Brent Rooker of the Twins. Dean Kremmer made his Orioles debut today, or Sunday, because you're listening to it Monday. So he made his debut yesterday. <laughs> and Sergio Alcantara for the Tigers. So some big Thanks names. Respect to Jonah Heim. <laughs> so some big names some smaller names certainly some top 100 prospects in there and Ethan I'll let you go first since you have been seriously hyped about K. Brian Hayes and for a Pirates team that hasn't won a lot it's probably nice to see that name and now. right
3: there hasn't been a whole lot to cheer for about the Pirates at all all year so it felt like a long time coming before they called up Kebrian Hayes but it's been really good to see him so far. Um, his best tool like throughout his entire career so far has been his glove. He won. He was named the best defensive third baseman in the, Nash, in the minor leagues each of the last three years. But his question was whether he was going to be able to hit or not. And in the first week so far, his exit velocity would rank first in the major leagues if he had enough at bats. It's over 97%. He had a double and a game-tying home run in his debut. He had a triple off of Trevor Bauer the other day. So his bat, at least so far, has not been a question at all. So it's really good to actually have something exciting to watch. I don't think I've been this excited about a Pirates prospect, probably since Garrett Cole.
0: And my fantasy team has certainly been happy about all of this. (laughs) You know, I've heard
1: a lot of comparisons of Hayes to Chapman, but, mm-hmm. you know, watching Hayes play, he looks a lot speeder than Chapman, so that's something right. he has a leg up on him on.
2: Mm-hmm. I don't think he's as good of a hitter, though. I think he only hits, I think, 11 home runs. I don't know, Ethan. He um, had, had a triple he a a play last year. And the ball was obviously, you know, that was the first year with the Major League ball last year, and everyone seemingly had a great year last right. year in
3: AAA. Yeah, it's definitely something to watch going forward. I know he altered his swing in the offseason. I'm not saying that's going to make him a 30-homer hitter or anything, but whatever he did has been working for
2: him so far.
0: Andrew, I know you had some things about some of the, I guess, less notable names on this list, certainly. but
2: Yeah, Dean Kremer. So to uh, Sunday, yesterday, he threw six innings, allowed just one hit and one run while striking out seven, against the New York Yankees, the struggling New York Yankees. That's a hell of a debut. And he actually is the first prospect from that Manny Machado deal to reach the major leagues. I know Yasmiel Diaz was the most talked-about prospect in there, but Dean Kremer has actually beat him to the major leagues. He's actually the first Israeli citizen ever to play in the major leagues. And he led the minor leagues in strikeouts in 2018. And the Baltimore Orioles have really turned out a lot of starting pitchers. They revamped their uh, pitching, um, pitching uh, coordinators in the minor leagues under uh, Elias, their new GM. So they've done an incredible job. And then also Sergio Alcantara with the Tigers. He homered in his first major league at bat, and he's the first Tiger to homer in his first major league at bat since Daniel Norris, the pitcher. <laughs>
0: Now, that's a fun fact. I'm glad you included that one. That's a cool Mm -hmm. one. One other thing I noticed about these names, Bernardo Flores. I actually was surprised by this. He's the sixth uh, player to debut from the 2016 draft class. I was kind of surprised it was only six. Um, I guess it's only four years out, so it's really not that surprising, but I felt like it could have been more. But just something notable, less notable than Daniel Norris being the (laughs) <laughs> Tigers played a, a, one of the more recent Tigers played a homer in his first major league at bat and when you oh. said
1: to Daniel Nurse I was thinking about the catcher I was like he played for oh, the Tigers
0: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so certain thank you for those fun facts that was certainly a little bit different than what mm-hmm. I had expected when you were reading that off I was going to be like eh I, I wouldn't have even know who to guess maybe Avi Garcia or something like that but <laughs> Before we head into our next section, just to kind of wrap up the, our touching base around the league section, it wouldn't feel right to go over the passing of both Tom Seaver or Lou Brock without making note of it. Certainly, Tom Seaver has been noted among some circles as one of the best right-handed pitchers of all times. For, for some, some of the best right, one of the right, best right-handed pitchers people that I've ever seen. And Lou Brock certainly made a name for himself on the base path throughout his career. So Tom Seaver passed away at the age of 75, Lou Brock at the age of 81. So baseball, baseball fans mourn their passing this week and certainly would not be right to talk about this week in baseball without mentioning their passing. So certainly all the best to all fan bases who got to watch those players play and certainly to their families and friends and all who are affected by these passings. Certainly difficult times in 2020 and they certainly continue. But let's turn to our new segment. We're trying something a little bit different here. We're calling it the seventh inning stretch, which is me stealing around the horn and giving it a different name. But that's okay. So we've got seven questions here I'm going to be asking our panel this week. They're each going to get a minute at most to give their answer to the question that I asked them. The best answer the best being determined solely by me and nobody else. I am dictator on this podcast. (laughs) We'll get the point for that question. And whoever gets the most points at the end wins absolutely nothing but bragging rights. So for now, at least maybe we'll turn it into something by the end of this. But let's lead it off. We're going to do it in seven innings form. So we'll start with the first question, the first inning. Wow, this is really creative. MLB trade deadline, it was last Monday, Um, certainly something we started discussing on last Sunday's podcast, but something we didn't get to fully walk through. I want to know from everybody, the biggest winner and the biggest loser from the MLB trade deadline, Callie, we'll start with you as the returning veteran, you have a minute starting right now. The winner, unquestionably,
1: has to be the Padres. Why do people not want to trade prospects? Because of their uh, service time, because of how long teams control them. So the Padres came up with a brilliant strategy of trading for major league players who have long contracts, who have plenty of controllable time. Austin Nola and Mike Clevenger, two very good players who will be controlled for a long time. They gave up prospects, yes, but... They aren't in the situation where prospects are super valuable right now. They're in a win-now situation. So getting Nola and Clevenger is huge. Nola fills a hole at catcher. They haven't had a very good catcher since Benito Santiago, the Padres. Uh, Clevenger, another great ace for that young team. He'll fit right in with Lament and Paddock. Mitch Moreland fills the hole at DH left by Tommy Pham. Great hitter. I'm not sure how long his contract lasts. He's still a great hole even he still fills a hole and is a great hitter, even if he's not under control for a long I'm time. Up. And
0: Trevor Rosenthal is very good, too. <laughs> Someone needs to judge how long a minute is. Andrew, you're next. Biggest winners and losers starting now.
2: I'll have to say the Indians, I really liked their return. Yeah, they didn't get like some big prospects, especially from the outfield. Like I was... As a White Sox fan, I was like, "I please don't get Robert Hassel because he's a he looked like a great hitter from this previous draft class." But they have Gabriel Arias. He's a shortstop. He's rated a 70-70 with his arm and his fielding. And last year he batted three hundred two, three thirty nine, four seventy with seventeen home runs in Double A. I'm sorry, High A. Joey Cantillo. He struck out one hundred twenty eight batters in ninety eight innings in Low A last year. And Owen Miller is an ISU grad and he's a nice up-the-middle up uh, player playing shortstop in second base. And Josh Naylor they got as well, and he can contribute right now for the Indians. He's uh, going to be their left fielder for the rest of the season. He's hit at pretty much every minor league level, and that's, that's his calling card. That's why he reached the major leagues. Um, and then the losers, I would say the Texas Rangers. They didn't trade Lance Lynn, and, you know, he's an older pitcher. they got some prospects for him as well. <laughs>
0: All right, you get, you at least got both the winners and the
1: losers. <laughs> I, I did not take any notes on any losers. I
0: just yeah. looked playing completely got winners. Ethan, you have a minute starting now.
3: I guess this is the downside of going last because I had the Padres and Rangers. I think what the <laughs> Padres did, that makes them probably the uh, second best team in the National League. And I was disappointed the Pirates didn't do anything at the deadline. It absolutely dumbfounded me. But I think the biggest losers, obviously the Rangers. I cannot believe they did not trade Lance Lynn. And I don't think his trade value is going to be any higher at any point ever than it was at this past deadline. So, yeah, I think they really took a big loss there by holding on to him.
0: Ethan wins solely because he was able to sit <laughs> under the minute mark. <laughs> point goes to Ethan, but I agree. I think the Padres were the clear winners here. Indians, certainly a winner getting a haul um, in return for Clevenger, but when you're able to do what the Padres did give up a, or get a lot of talent without giving up some of their top prospects, certainly A.J. Preller found a way to keep his job um, as we head into the end of the 2020 season. Inning two, question two. Mike Trout broke the Angels' home run record when he hit his 300th home run on September 4th, just a couple days ago. How close will he come to breaking the Major League record? Ethan, you won. You have the floor. Now,
3: So I actually used the, uh, the Bill James stat uh, prediction tool or whatever it's called on ESPN mm-hmm. to see what they said. The number they gave him for his career was 587, which I think is a little low. He'll probably get to 600. He might might push 700, but I don't think there's a real shot of him getting to 762.
0: Under a minute. I like this kelly go all right so my notes say very simply
1: no way in full capitals with many exclamation marks trouts only broken the 400 homer mark twice in his career he even if he keep, keeps hitting 30 home runs in a season until he's 45 he's not going to make it for the last time he had because hank Aaron, he hit 400 home runs for like 20 straight years, 40 home runs a season for like 20 straight years. I don't think longevity can make up for his lack of production in his early years. We're getting
0: good at this. Andrew, go.
2: I don't think he's going to come close either. He's 29 years old. We saw what happened to Albert Pujols, his teammate. who's really, I mean, yeah, he still hit a lot.
0: Andrew, we can't hear you. And he's lost us. And he can't hear us either. Oof.
2: And plus, also Trout has struggled to stay He's healthy. He's Mike Trout has struggled to stay healthy. He's always had like a couple injuries these past couple seasons. So I think that that's something to look into as he gets into his thirties.
0: You have nineteen seconds to tell me what you missed, to tell us what we missed in between the beginning and injuries.
2: Ooh, okay, so I think I said I predicted he would get around six hundred twenty-five home runs, which would put him just ahead of Jim Tomei and right behind Ken Griffey Jr.
0: And you kept that all under a minute. Nicely done. Oh, I'm going to go with Ethan again because he used that Bill James thing. And if you can use some outside resources to pad your argument, that, that's a solid thing to do. Nicely done there. So 2, two zero, 0 lead for Ethan. Heading into inning three. Fact or fiction, the New York Yankees have won five out of the last 19. That's fact. However, it is time to be concerned. Fact or fiction? Ethan, you once again won. You, ha- you are on the floor and on the clock.
3: I'm going to go fiction. I think that they're going to be fine. Um, it's mostly been a problem with injuries for them. They have trouble staying healthy. but They should be getting Urshela and Judge and maybe James Paxton back before too long. So I think that they'll probably be fine. They can probably hold off. It's the Tigers and the Mariners, I think, are the next teams in the wild card chase. And I don't think they're. I don't think they have a too tough of a schedule down the road, so I think they'll be fine. I'm gonna be a fiction.
0: Cali, go.
1: When you ask, are the are the Yankees going to be okay? It depends on what you're asking. Do you do I think they're gonna win the NL East? At East, AL East. No, I do not. But I do think that they're that they're gonna stay where they are. They're gonna hold on to that wild card spot, and it's just because. They have an incredible talent pool. It's just that that talent pool has been incredibly unlucky with entries. I personally think Brian Cashman might have pissed off a witch somewhere. Uh, Not sure how they get this unlucky, but when they aren't unlucky, they are one of the best teams in the MLB.
0: Andrew, you got a tough act to follow with pissing off a witch, but I'm going to let you try starting now. (laughs)
2: <laughs> yeah, I got to say fiction as well, although I think one thing to be noted is everyone always compares the Yankees and the Dodgers as the two juggernauts best teams in baseball, and I think that it's the Dodgers that are the sole juggernaut. The Yankees, I think, are a little bit below them. They're not on their tier. Uh, I think that the Yankees, yeah, they got a deep team, but they're not quite as good at developing players as the Dodgers are. Um there's a couple guys that have had slow starts offensively this year. Gary Sanchez has been brutal this year. Glaber Torres has struggled. Yes, he's been injured. I know that. Brett Gardner has, you know, he's getting older. Mike Ford has been really bad. I think they just let him go or DFA'd him, something like that. Mike Talkman, he hasn't hit a home run this year in seventy eight at bats. And then also Garrett Cole hasn't been that dominant form that he was last year in the postseason. And the back end of the rotation is very shaky. Jay Happ, Jordan Montgomery, James Paxton, they've all been really shaky. So that, that rotation is not that deep.
0: Oh, just as I was about to say, stop. Valiant effort, Andrew, but nothing's going to be piss off a witch for me. <laughs> I, but, but I do agree with all of you, I think. One's, I, I don't think Cole's going anywhere. though he has struggle. I think you're going to see him figure it out. Who needs Cole when you have Debbie Garcia? That's true. They have plenty of talent coming through where it's, I, I don't think it's any reason to worry about a team like the Yankees. They're
1: like the Astros from, I believe it was, no, it wasn't last year. I think it was a uh, 2019. They got a lot of injuries, but they had enough replacement players right. to keep their head above water.
0: The Yankees are a team where you don't have to question their depth too much. Um, that, that's certainly a team that has plenty of it. Inning four, Fernando Tatis Jr. leads the Major Leagues in F4. How high can you rank him among players in Major League Baseball? I'm curious to see what people think here. Cal, you won the last question. I I can guess where this was probably going to go, but I'm going to let you go anyway starting now. He's played long enough that you can confidently say he's a great player. You could
1: argue one of the best, but in my personal opinion, when a player hasn't even played a full season, you cannot rank him amongst the rest of the league. You can only rank him amongst himself. That sounds that sounded better in my head. He's good, and he's going to be good for a long time. You can tell just by looking at the batted ball stats that it's not luck, like some people might have thought from last year with the insanely high bat. But, but he's still really good, but just not just doesn't have the playing time to compare him to the rest of the league yet.
0: Ethan, you're still in the lead, so you get to go second.
3: No. Yeah, I definitely agree with Callie that um, you need to see more over a larger body of work before we call him like a top five player in the league. He's he's probably going to win NL MVP based on the way the season's going, and he's definitely really fun to watch. But I don't think I could say confidently he's one of the top ten, top 15 players in the league right now.
0: Andrew, go.
2: I'll say he's a top thirty player, like they said. He hasn't even played a full season yet. I think with Tatis, like Javier Baez, is he's such a like a watchable player with a lot of flair that that kind of like overrates him as a player. But I, I mean, don't get me wrong, Tatis is a hell of a player. And another thing to note is last year he was a really bad defensive player. I know a lot of that was probably rookie a rookie mistake and you know just inexperience and stuff. Maybe the game was going too fast for him. So I think, you know, until, like, we see the defense more, I think then we could rate them a little bit higher up there amongst, like, the top ten with, like, Trout, Bats, Yelich, all those guys.
0: All right. Let me (laughs) finish. Kelly's already mad about that. Um, I don't have anything
1: to say. what, What I wanted to say was he made great points improvement is something you want to see from young players. And if he doesn't improve, I don't think you can put him in the upper echelon. Like you can't say he's a top five player if he's not improving himself from his current point. Cause last year he had a huge issue with strikeouts that even though he had a high average and uh, had a high LBP because of that could have been even higher. If he drew some more walks.
0: I'm going to go with Andrew on that one. I like the bias comparison. I think. In terms of how they play the game and the confidence with which they play the game, I think that's a good comparison. But certainly, um, someone you have to watch for um, heading into this, the end of the season, heading into next season, and a longer sixty, longer than a sixty-game stretch. Um, but certainly, if they feel like trading him back to the Sox anytime soon, I won't say no. <laughs> that being said, fifth inning, Luis Robert or Kyle Lewis? Who is your pick as of right now? for AL Rookie of the Year. Andrew, the White Sox fan, I can guess where this is going. However, you won first, so you or you won the last one, so you get to go first starting now.
2: Yeah, I have to pick Luis Robert. He's 99th percentile and outs above average right now. Kyle Lewis is only 74. I mean, that's still really good, but still, that's a huge difference. Um, Kyle Lewis right now, he's been the better offensive player, but I think Luis Robert, his power is just off the charts. I mean, you saw him with that home run the other night and even his defense that catch from a couple nights ago. Um, Luis Robert, he's stolen six bases, Kyle Lewis two. Um, I didn't look at the F war, but B war, uh, Luis, Robert, Luis Robert's war coming into Sunday before the games played, Robert had a two war, and uh, Lewis had a 1.5. So I think, I think you've got to give it to Luis Robert at this point.
0: Ethan, you're still in the lead. So you get to go next, starting now.
3: All right. So Luis Robert is obviously the better player going forward. That doesn't mean that he's necessarily the uh, the rookie of the year this year. But that being said, it he's still the answer. He's a freak. He's just he's pretty much the the definition of a five tool player. And I think that like he's good enough offensively compared to Lewis that his, his just astronomical. Defensive abilities put him over the edge. I think he's at like nine defensive runs saved already this year, which over a full season is pretty much like having Kevin Kiermeyer in center field, which if you hit like he does and feel like Kiermeyer, I'd take that any day of the week.
0: Kelly, you're on the clock starting now. Let me remind you the name of the award.
1: Rookie of the year. Year. Not going forward. And so far this year, Uh, not Lewis, Robert, Uh, Kyle Lewis has been the better player. The numbers just offensively are so much better than Robert's. And being a better offensive player has so much more impact on the game than being a better defensive player does. Hitting a home run does more than saving a – all right. (laughs) Let me rephrase that. You can hit more home runs than you can save runs in a season. That's why the better offensive player is going to be the more valuable player in the season. That's why I think it's going to be, that's why I think it should be Kyle Lewis who wins the award this year.
0: Oh, this is a hard one. Hmm.
3: You should give it to who asked the question, which was me.
0: (laughs) I'm going to come back to this one. (laughs) I'm going to come back to this one. I'm not going to award a winner yet. I got to think about this because currently Luis Robert has been more valuable overall than kyle lewis according to Fangraphs. however I, I i like the argument of the five to a player i i like that argument but i see where callie is going and the Sox fan is me is having a hard time giving it to her so <laughs> we're gonna come back to it and see how, i'll see how i feel in two questions all right callie <laughs> all right in all right. six we are still a month away from the playoffs but given what you've seen on the field this far who is the one team that you would not want to face in the postseason? Ethan, since I can't give points yet for that last question, you are still the leader. <laughs> you can go first starting now.
3: So the Dodgers are obviously the easy answer. They're the best team in the league, and I don't think it's close. But if I don't want to give a like a stupid cliche answer, I think that the addition of Mike Clevenger gives the Padres a serious boost. with having Clevenger and Paddock and Denelson-Lamette, who's a monster, Zach Davies has, what, a 220-something ERA. That's four legit starting pitchers. And if you want a team in the American League, I'm not trying to be a suck-up, but the White Sox scared me. I've seen what the White Sox can do. I, don't, I wouldn't want to face that.
0: You, you've already seen what being a suck-up does with the Luis Robert versus <laughs> Kyle Lewis question. <laughs> Flattery gets you everywhere on this podcast. Callie, you are on the clock now.
1: A bit of a wild card answer here: the
0: Cleveland
1: Indians, mainly because good pitching—it's going to be consistent, and it's much easier for good pitching to be consistent than it is for—it's—it's it's much easier for good hitting to be fluky than it is for it to be consistent. So in a playoff, it's more likely for the Cleveland Indians offense, which still has incredible potential. Uh, J. Ram and Lindor—they're MVP candidates in any other season. They're incredible players. Don't sleep on them. Don't sleep on the potential of the Indians offense. And I don't even need to tell you how good that pitching is. I do not want to face a Karniček with my team down some runs in a do or die game.
0: Andrew, you're on the clock.
2: I listed two teams here and both of you named them. (laughs) <laughs> I think so. I'll talk about a little bit of both here. The Padres haven't even called up Mackenzie Gore yet, who's by, far and away I think the best pitching prospect in the minor leagues. So I mean, if they put him in the rotation or even the bullpen, they could use him in Batina. I mean, they're a dangerous team. They had that like positive karma this year, and then with the Indians, even after trading Clevenger, they just pump out starting pitching, and they're a dangerous team. Exactly what Callie said. You. you What you're going to be most scared of in the postseason is pitching. And before the season, I predicted the Indians would make the ALCS because I think that pitching wins games, especially in the postseason, as we've seen the past couple years.
0: Callie wins because she can pronounce the reliever's last name, James (laughs) (laughs) Karinchek. Ethan, you get a brownie point with me. That means more than these points do at the end of the day. Right. Callie, I'm officially awarding you the point for Kyle Lewis versus Luis Robert. because I want to hear the... a
1: little secret? Before I heard those two, I was going to go with Robert, but I decided to pivot to Lewis <laughs> because I didn't want to side with everybody else.
0: Well, now I feel bad giving you that point. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I'm it's my first class. podcast doing this. It, it, it's because Lewis has been such... Lewis has been so incredibly consistent offensively he hasn't struck out at the same rate as robert has he's walked a lot more and and i haven't had an issue with robert's eye but at the same time i've been over the moon impressed by lewis i think at the end of the day robert will distinguish himself Um, i do think
1: robert will be the better player in the future but right now it's kyle kyle lewis's right
0: and I'm even well, saying keep over having next, to, Keep having you know. to double-check which one I'm saying, because Kyle Lewis, Luis, Robert... Right, a, I was saying the same thing. I think over the next 15, 20 games or so, I still think Robert will pull away. And Frank. Or funnily enough, I do think it will be because of his defense um, that pulls him away.
2: With those two, with regarding walks, Kyle Lewis, he, I mean, there's like no protection in that Mariners lineup. So, I mean, that's why they're, just not, they're not pitching to that's him. A good point, too. And with Robert, I mean, the weights
0: he cut out again. Oh, dang. He was making a good point too. Does he? I guess he doesn't hear us when he cuts out. You so much, Shiva. Oh, you back. Now we go.
2: Oh, we go. now we can.
0: This has been a oh. wild ride.
2: <laughs> All right, he cut out
0: just
1: after saying that the uh, Mariners lineup has no protection for
0: Lewis, but the White Sox lineup has protection for Robert. I'm guessing that was the argument there.
2: Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty much it.
0: I mean, it's a good argument. I, yeah. I think that, that that's an interesting one there. Um, I, I think it's good for the league that there's two that are taking the league by storm, especially in the 60-game season. where oh, Both incredibly fun players. Yeah. And I mean, someone like Joe Adele, where that, that's almost what you expect to see from rookies, that you're not seeing it from these two rookies in 60 games is actually fantastic for the league <laughs> in this little sprint. Um, having rookies who do stand out, despite the growing pains associated with... Being a major league ball player. Uh Heading into this final question, Kelly has three points. Ethan two, Andrew one, inning seven, seventh inning stretch, whatever I'm going to call this. Last week, Jose Abreu and Manny Machado won Player of the Week honors. Who are your front runners to win the honors this week? I'll award a point now, but also if someone actually picks who the Player of the Week was, they'll get an extra point. So we'll see what happens here. Kelly, you're in the lead. You go first.
1: Uh, for the AL, it's got to be Trout. Uh, that dad strength still has not left him. He hit three more home runs this week to go along with an absolutely over the moon at 363 on base percentage, at least as of uh, Sunday. And then in the NL, it's got to be Ozuna. Four home runs in seven days is crazy. And, not, uh, and a not-too-shabby OBP of 591, which is
0: really good. Andrew, you're on the clock.
2: Yeah, it's got to be Mike Trout. I mean, he hit his 300th home run, franchise leader of the Angels. Uh, he's cracking jokes at first base about the weather. Uh, and then for the National League, it's got to be Marcel Zuna He had three homers, I believe, on Monday. He, I think he hit another homer or two throughout the week, so he, I think he's far and away the option for the National League.
0: And Ethan, bring us home.
3: I... I'm- Obviously, I said Mike Trout in the American League. I don't think I need to say any more about that. But I picked a different option in the National League. I went Ooh. with Eugenio Suarez, who had a three-homer game against the Pirates the other night. So I don't like giving him props at all. But he led the National League in home runs, RBIs, and slugging percentage this week. So I'm going to go with Suarez.
0: Ooh, this is an interesting one now. hmm uh-huh.
2: Hmm.
0: I'm giving the point to Ethan for being different. However, <laughs> I almost gave the point to Callie for the dad strength comment on Trout. <laughs> if you're listening, you can see how completely subjective this entire process is. And that's oh, no, okay. It's, it's absolutely pure chest numbers, pure objectivity <laughs> here. Yes. We pride ourselves on analytics and stats and fact-based things, and then we do things like what I just did right there. It's okay. <laughs> That was fun, though. I think we're going to do that again next week. Yeah. It's, that was your old timer. Um, good job staying on in the minute for the mo- mark for the most part, everyone. Uh, quick, succinct arguments. But that was seventh inning stretch. And now we will head into some of our more routine things for the podcast. We'll start with our storylines for the week. Again, this is for each of our writers what they're going to be following along th- coming this week, as well as the big storyline for them, what they really saw from around the league this week and something they really wanted to highlight on. Hmm. Andrew, you had such a rough time in seventh inning stretch. I'll let you go yeah. first.
2: Yeah, you showed me no love.
0: Your I'm sorry. <laughs> you know, I couldn't show too much favoritism as a fellow White Sox Yeah, so I get it.
2: You got the brunt of that, but <laughs> i let you go yeah.
0: first here, so.
2: So, from for my story, it's the disaster that has been the Cincinnati Reds. They're now eighteen and twenty-three. They have a twenty-one point six percent probability of making the postseason. Their offense has been a disaster. They're ranked twenty-second in OPS plus. Um, I think the moment that summed up their entire season happened this week. Um, there was a miscatch. Uh, by Joey Votto at first base, and I think Trevor Bauer ended up allowing three three runs to score. I think that was against the Pirates, right, Ethan? Mm-hmm. And Trevor Bauer, when he came in the dugout, he was screaming at his teammates, and that just shows the frustration of this team. This is a team that was a trendy pick uh, to win the National League Central, probably the favorite, and they just have been really underwhelming this year. Um, here, their starting pitching has been as advertised. Um, their top four starters have an ERA plus of above 120. Bauer has 239, Castillo 124, Gray 153, and Tyler Maley 126. Um, the back of the bullpen has been pretty good, but the rest of the bullpen has been a disaster. Um, that Archie Bradley trade really is going to help them a lot. Um, Joey Votto's just been average, like we were hoping for a turnaround. I think like the first game of the season, he had a home run or two or whatever, and we're like, wow, he's back, but then he's really kind of plateaued. Um, Mike Moustakas, the big free agent signing, uh, he's had a few aisle stints, and he hasn't really had the chance to like heat it up yet. Um, as Ethan mentioned, uh, uh, Suarez, he hit three home runs the other day, and he's hit a lot of home runs this week, so I think he's finally starting to heat up here. Uh, Castellanos has been amazing. I think he has 11 homers. Jesse Winker has been phenomenal, but the rest of the lineup hasn't really been that good. Shogo Akiyama, the guy they brought in from, I believe, Japan. Um, he has been really bad. I think his OPS plus is like 49. Um, the pirates walked it off today on his like really bad throw. So, I mean, this team is, I think, I think they're still pretty good and they could be really dangerous if they make the postseason. Like I could see them, getting the eighth seed and knocking out the Dodgers in the first round, you know, if they have like Trevor Bauer and Sonny Gray start. But, I mean, this team has been a disaster. I just don't think it's their year this year. So, um, oh, and another thing too is I know like hits like aren't, you know, batting average isn't like a big thing, but the Reds would rank last in hits other than the Marlins and the Cardinals, the two teams that had the big COVID outbreaks. So, I mean, I think that just shows like how their offense has really struggled this year. Um, so yeah, it's been, it's been a disaster kind of, in my opinion. So you
1: know, he talked about picking them to win the NL Central. I picked them in, mm-hmm. man. I've been just, it's mm-hmm. hard not to buy into their, uh, offense of revolution in the off season. Moustakas is a great hitter was good in Kansas city was good in Milwaukee moving to second base. Now, uh, it was unknown how well he was going to be fielding wise, but you thought his bat was going to stay the same unfortunately. He hasn't had the chance to prove it. Castellanos, he's a good player but now he's forced to play the field. Actually, he's not forced to play the field. He's choosing to play the field and that's Mm -hmm. caused some mistakes. Akiyami, he was a wild card and a wild card that unfortunately has gone bust. Pitching has been good but I mean, they're like the Indians. Pitching hasn't been able to keep a ship from sinking.
0: Yeah, I think when you look at the Reds, that's a team that a lot of teams, or a lot of people probably picked as their sleeper team for the year. Certainly myself being one of them, it's unfortunate to see that, you know, they really haven't been able to catch a foothold in the NL Central, one one of the weaker divisions, if we're being honest. Mm -hmm. And it's, I'm sure it's frustrating for the entire front office, for the entire team, but Trevor Bauer is going to look great in black and white next year. Yes, he I is. Use, <laughs> I used the
1: uh, Red Sox as an Red Sox. Reds an example of how teams should approach free agency Absolutely. and build their teams. But
0: now I look like a fool. No, I mean hindsight's twenty twenty. I'd a hundred percent build my team the way the Reds did it. Um, certainly nothing to hang their ha- or their heads on there. Um,
2: yeah, they have had a couple COVID outbreaks. I think Nick Senzel is still in the IL from that. Mm-hmm. I think he might have got it twice. I'm not really sure. And they, like I said, with Moose, like he had two IL stints. I think Matt Davidson as well, he got uh, COVID earlier in the season. So, I mean, they've had some bad luck, but I think it's, I mean that offense I don't think is as good as everyone predicted them to be.
0: Which is surprising.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Kelly, your storyline. Tell me about God, your favorite player that I – never hear enough about yeah
1: so i've told you guys how much i like jb wendelkin never he's so good and he's the one player i think this year who has a shot at finishing with an era under one so right now he's sitting at 1.81 something might have changed because he threw two scoreless innings against the padres today which is always nice uh so He's thrown 16.2 innings so far this year, and he's given up three earned runs. So in order to finish with an ERA under one point, he's going to have to throw 10.2 more scoreless innings. And it's going to be tough because the A's, they take on some tough teams, teams that have good offenses, and the Astros, the Dodgers, and the Mariners are a good team as well. So, but I think he can do it. I think the biggest question is, is he going to get the playing time to do it? Because the only people who have really done damage to him this season are Mike Trenton and um, Anthony Rendon, two MVP candidates. And it's never too shabby when those are the two two people who can beat you.
0: That's actually a fun story to watch for. Um, Hopefully he gets the playing time necessary to do it. Yeah, he's
1: always been so good, but he's never thrown more than like 36 innings in a season.
0: If this is your first time listening and you've never heard Kelly talk about J.B. Wendelkin, I promise you'll <laughs> hear plenty more about him in the weeks to come. Let's wrap up storylines with Ethan's storyline for the week.
3: All right. I'm going back to the NL Central, but I'm not happy about it because I'm not talking about the Pirates because nobody wants to hear anything about the Pirates. <laughs> I'm talking about Yu Darvish. I think the Cubs have finally gotten the version of Yu Darvish that the Rangers thought they were getting when they signed him out of Japan. I think he's going to win the Cy Young Award this year. He's just been – he's been filthy. He throws three different versions of his fastball, three different breaking balls, and has the split finger. That's just disgusting. He started out his season – I think he had an outing where he pitched four innings and gave up three runs or something. But since then, he's pitched at least six innings and given up no more than one run in each start. And his ERA has gone down after every start. I think it's at 144 right now. And I think his next matchup, I think it's him against Trevor Bauer on Wednesday or Thursday, which should be really fun to watch. But I think Yu Darvish is finally going to get some hardware. I think he's going to end up as the NL Cy Young.
1: I mean, it's hard to say Yu Darvish did bad in a Rangers uniform. He has the highest K per nine of a starting pitcher in history, right. I believe. Mm-hmm. But he wasn't. But he didn't win the Cy Young, which, mm-hmm. I mean, only one person went to it every year, so it's, it's hard to knock someone for not winning it.
3: Yeah. yeah, I think it, Tommy John, when he was with the Rangers and then he just, it didn't appear as if he was the same pitcher after mm-hmm. that. Then he got traded. He got traded to the Dodgers. He had, he imploded in the world series. And then he, when he first went to the Cubs, he didn't look great either. And now he's a completely different pitcher. His walks and home run rates have just gone down drastically. And he, he looks like a whole different pitcher mm-hmm. and he's, he's clearly one of the best in the league now.
1: If there was an award for most giftable pitches, it, it would, he would win it.
3: Yeah. Right. No, between
0: both him and um, Hayward, the Cubs in their large massive contracts have certainly gotten a big boost this year. Both Hayward and Darvish have looked fantastic heading into, I think Hayward has one or two years left, maybe more. Um, Darvish, I believe, has about the same, Um, but certainly for both of them, they're starting to make those contracts feel worth it for the Cubs and Cubs fans. And already over two wins above replacement for you, Darvish, this year. Um, Rival, rivalry, rivaling, yes, rival, rival, doing that word against Shane Bieber (laughs) in the ale. Wow. Okay. That was fun. But. Let's close the storybooks and head to the TV, and let's talk about what we're watching for the week. Callie, we'll start with you.
1: Uh, it's it's uh, Rockies at Dodgers, right?
0: No, it's A's at Astros. <laughs> oh, Dodger. I was thinking of the game of the week
1: thing. <laughs> Dang. All right, so yeah.
0: This is a high-quality production
1: today. We are doing yes. fantastic. The A's take on the Astros, and it's a very important series. The Astros are either 3.5 games behind or three games behind. No, it would be 2.5 games behind. So they're either 3.5 or 2.5 games behind the A's, and they're going to be playing uh, four, five games in four days, I believe, and with both Matt Chapman and Marcus Simeon being out the A's are really going to need to pull a rabbit out of their hat to maintain a comfortable lead over
0: the division rivals. Andrew, what you got?
2: As a White Sox fan, it's, this is an easy choice. It's the Indians at Twins, which is coming up on this next weekend. The White Sox currently are a half a game up on the Indians and I think one game and a half up on the Twins. So that's going to be a really interesting series. The Twins have had a couple injuries to their position players. so That's something to look out for. Josh Donaldson just came back. I think Mitch Garver's on the IL. Obviously, Byron Buxton's always banged up. So that's going to be an interesting series. And I think, you know, that could be a deciding series for the AL Central Crown.
0: And last but never least, well, last in the standings as well.
3: Ethan, Thank you. what you got? <laughs> so I was looking at the Yankees and how they've struggled so bad. Lately, we talked about it earlier. So I looked at their schedule for the rest of the season, and on Monday, they start a series against the Blue Jays, who obviously just passed the Yankees in the AL East. And I noticed that they haven't played each other yet this year.
0: Mm -hmm.
3: So they have 10 games against the Blue Jays for the next two or three weeks. And I think seven of them are in Toronto. So it's going to be tough. Right. So it's going to be tough to see... Uh, if the Yankees are going to be able to hold on because that's definitely going to have an impact on the playoff picture for sure
0: yeah that's a reeling team that doesn't necessarily want to face one of the hotter teams right now between both the Yankees and the Blue Jays and especially when I might decide who's finishing second place in the AL East so we're just about done here folks we're going to wrap it up as we've done every week with our late-night baseball predictions. Usually it's Sunday night baseball, but we're recording a little bit later today. So it's going to be the late-night game. It has already started, so nobody cheat. The Rockies and the Dodgers. The Rockies started Ryan Castellani. The Max look look-alike, And the Dodgers started Julio Urias. Dodgers were heavy favorites heading into this game. I want to know who you think wins the game. And for the betting lines, the over-under was set at 9.5 runs. Give me your winner and your over or under for runs. Um, it's not in. Uh, it's
1: not in course, is it? I don't believe so. I think they think in it's in Dodger Stadium. Yeah, I think they're. All right. Los so I think you got to go <laughs> with the under for the runs because I think the Dodgers' offense, while good, it's underperformed compared to ex- expectations. I mean, the White Sox and the Padres, they have the best offenses in the league. Uh, But I think uh, I think Julio Arias is a good enough pitcher to quiet the Rockies lineup, which is very underrated in my opinion. Uh, I think it's going to be a
0: five to three game in favor of the Dodgers. Five, three Dodgers. You're taking the under Andrew, what you got?
2: I'll say Dodgers eight to two that Rocky lineup cannot hit on the road. You know that's just always how the Rockies are historically. They've just always been, you know, bad on the road. And you know, I, I like Julio Arias. He's got good stuff. Good young pitcher. I think he's finally starting to see some success as he's been healthy this year. So I'll go with the Dodgers eight to two.
0: And Ethan, kind of. I just
3: the tie want to here. say real quick that I'm glad that we're doing this game instead because my prediction for Cubs Cardinals fell flat really quick. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm gonna. I'm picking the Dodgers. I don't think that's really tough. I, the score I had in my mind was seven to two. I'm going to stick with it. So I'm going with the under, but I'm picking the Dodgers.
0: I was watching the Sox game day, and I started doing some of the over-under betting a little bit. I'm like, how do they decide these lines? And then the line I think was ten and a half for the Sox. I'm like, there's no way they're getting that today. And it was like eight to end the game. I'm like, all right, you're right on that line. I don't know how you people do that, but those are the professionals, not me. <laughs> but as you can tell by how I run this podcast, sometimes. <laughs> but that's going to do it for us folks. Um, if you've made it to the end, I'm hoping you enjoyed our fun little seventh inning stretch thing. I hope you enjoy all the information everyone brought to you this evening. Certainly we do a lot of prep work um, beforehand. These lovely people, these lovely folks do a lot of research beforehand. They give you the best and we're on the league. Are they you watch about? I just browsed fan graphs for a couple of hours. <laughs> you know, Callie, I'm trying to help you out here. <laughs> <laughs> but certainly make sure to follow us at Diamond Underscore Digest on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Also look for us there. Diamond-digest.com is the website. Make sure to find all of our fabulous writers there. Callie, Ethan, andrew amongst them and certainly many many others who are putting out great content every day but thanks again for joining us for Kelly sai ethan fisher and andrew horwath this is jordan lazowski signing off take care everyone enjoy your week and we'll talk to you next week
2: see you soon